This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we've been looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels. And Ben, we're now on week 22 out of 52, so we're moving along in the life of Jesus. Last week, we looked at a few of the extreme highs and lows that Jesus experienced in just a couple of day period. Today we want to we want to move along in the story. Jesus talks about religious hypocrisy versus authentic faith as he goes and spends time with the Jewish religious leaders and then this Gentile woman who would be seen as an outcast. The story's picked up in Mark chapter 7, so if the listeners, if you want to follow along there, you certainly can do that. In Mark chapter 7, it says in verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Ben, I knew that you grew up with a brother. And I grew up with three brothers, and uh, there were a lot of times our hands were unwashed. <laughs> I suppose that was in your world too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, dirt brought immunity. <laughs> yeah. So, matter of fact, sometimes if, if I got hurt, my dad would just say, rub some dirt on it. Right, right. Like <laughs> into the blood. Yeah. Into, into the, the open wound. Just take that dirt and rub it all over there. Rub yeah. it in there. Yeah. It, it stopped the bleeding. Right, right. <laughs> I I will say that twice. I did have to go to the emergency room for uh, some sort of bloodborne issue. So, oopsie. So, yeah, those are probably from spider bites. Hopefully, but yeah. Anyway, hopefully, (laughs) Uh, that sounds pretty creepy to me. I don't want spider bites. So, so this is not what's going on here. It's not a. It's not about uh, Mama saying don't have dirty hands, right? Right. What's right. going what's going on with this whole story about washed and unwashed hands and objects from the religious leaders from the Pharisees? Yeah, the religious leaders what they have done here is added, you know, one of the the habits of the um the religious establishment in in uh, early Judaism was to uh, add laws upon laws and so you know, there were aspects of ritual cleanliness that the uh the that were instructive uh, to the Jews from God but then there were things that were just added uh to those laws uh, by the uh the so-called religious establishment one of those was the uh the cleanliness laws that we see here um the traditions of the elders uh it's so the idea of of hand washing uh prior to eating um, was one of those additional laws that they had brought into the mix. And now they're questioning Christ on why his disciples aren't abiding by what is essentially a man-made law. And they weren't really worried about them getting a tummy ache. No. It was about spiritual cleanliness in their view. There, there were these rules, these laws, and they had to they had to go about and do it, right? So Jesus really will have nothing to do with these guys. They're, they're trying to nitpick at the disciples because they didn't go through the ritual, ceremonial cleansing and washing. And Jesus said, y- you guys, like, you're hypocrites. The things that you say don't match the things that you do. 
And he, he and down in verse six and seven, we're we're in Mark seven, down in verse six and seven, he quotes to them from Isaiah. Now let me just go to that passage in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter twenty nine, and I'll pick it up in verse thirteen. Now think, I want you to think about this for a minute. Isaiah was writing to the people of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been conquered and taken away by Assyria. And so Isaiah is primarily writing from Jerusalem to the southern kingdom, to Judah. And he's reminding the people that they've got to turn their hearts toward God or the same thing that happened to the friends in the north will happen to them in the south in Judah. And in Isaiah 29, 13, this is what it says. The Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules. They have been taught. This is pretty much a match of what's there. But if you go on in that passage, there's some more things we can learn. Therefore, Once more will I astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Isaiah goes on to say, quoting the Lord, Lord gave him this, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? Who sees us? Who will know? Maybe the slogan of a hypocritical person. On the outside, they honor me with their lips. They're doing these worship things. They're following human rules. They're doing all these things. And, but in the darkness, in secret, their life doesn't match their words. He goes on in verse 16. This is Isaiah 29. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. That is, the Creator, the Father, is not the one we control. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing? Jesus does this a lot. He, he quotes from a psalm, or he quotes from a prophet, or he quotes from somebody, and maybe in part of Deuteronomy. But if you read the fuller context, it's a real punch in the gut to the Pharisees. That this, the rest, and they, they would have known this. They would have had this memorized, this, this verse that was being quoted from, of saying, you know, you worship me in vain. And it goes on to say, you think you can get away with it in the dark and say nobody sees, nobody knows. Jesus is saying to them, God knows. What do you think is is happening in this exchange, maybe emotionally, between Jesus and those religious leaders. I think one of the big critiques that Christ offers, one of the big critiques I think that that we should hear in our own relationship with Christ uh, oftentimes is, uh, is, is this a manifestation of, of my heart, my heart's desire? Uh, a lot of the issues that we see within uh, both the Old Testament and the, the early New Testament with Jesus and his confrontation or his constant conversations with the religious establishment, the religious leaders, is that they're doing things as an outward manifestation of righteousness, almost to prove themselves to the people and it, their acts of self-righteousness. 
they're not acts that are derived from a, a real, true, legitimate uh, heart for God, um, where, their, desi- where their, their deepest desire is to live into relationship with God, to consider, uh, to, to love their neighbor, um, things that they would have actually claimed as an aspect of the law, and yet these are things that are not being made manifest in their life. And so we see that really with the, uh, uh, you know, the, the true uh, symbolic, when we think of Judaism, we think about the Old Testament law, we think of, of the, the one, I guess, central symbol of that would be uh, circumcision. And one of the, the issues within Judaism, one of the issues that uh, Christ speaks into, that Paul speaks into multiple times, is the idea that you know, outward circumcision was supposed to be a means or symbolic of the inward heart, a heart cut away to God. And yet that outward righteousness actually became more uh, a symbolic of self-righteousness, of basically saying to others or, uh, you know, beyond circumcision, obviously, but the, uh, the, the acts of, of what they perceived as uh, living into the law uh, those acts became a means of self-righteousness. Those acts became a means of basically saying, you know, God's lucky to have me on his side. Yeah, that's, that's you've just defined legalism, right? I mean, that if we go through the outward actions in the right kind of way, in this case, you're talking about circumcision or in this scripture about ceremonial hand washing or dishwashing, uh, right, eating the right kinds of foods, that if you go through these the right way, then you'll be good with God. And there's a temptation, I think, for all of us to want to know what are the rules. Right. Just, just show me the rules, and if I can have them and follow them, at least most of them, then I'll be good. And Jesus is talking about something different. Now, the disciples, they don't get it. They're, they're just like, what, what is going on here? They ask the question, and if we jump down to verse 18, Jesus looks at them and says, are you so dull? Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, he's, he's shaping these guys' lives for the future, but he's, he's not doing it with kid gloves. He just says, you guys, are you really that dumb? He goes on to say, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It's not about the hand washing. It's not about the pot washing. It's not about the food itself. Nothing from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And it says in, in the parentheses, at least in, in my translation, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of glad because I do like some bacon. Amen. What, what's, a, what's a food that you're glad is just uh, declared clean that might not have been according to the rules? Well, beyond all things pork, um, Shrimp, shellfish, I, I can't fathom uh, life without fried shrimp. And so, uh, yeah, there's a, a whole uh, litany of, uh, of animals I'm thankful and seafood that I'm, I'm thankful that I can uh, devour now. Some, uh, some Cajun meals wouldn't be the same without a few of those foods, No, I right? mean, I, I can't, uh, I, yeah, I can't imagine like life without crawfish. But crawfish and shrimp would have been uh, off the market. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever had crawfish. Well, that's too bad for is you. Is that a real good 
thing to eat. Uh, yeah, if it's cooked right. I mean, they ultimately take on the flavor of whatever it is they're cooked in. And so, you know, good broiled crawfish are going to, yeah, there, there's nothing better in, in this world. My wife says the same thing about cauliflower. It takes on the flavor of whatever it's cooked in. Can I just use cauliflower? You know what? I'll, I'll tell you about cauliflower just real quick on that since you brought it up. I do love myself some baked cauliflower. Uh, folks uh, listening out there, um, just olive oil on a pan, cauliflower in the olive oil, a little bit of uh, Parmesan cheese with some garlic, and 450 for 25 minutes. You will thank me for it. Welcome to the cooking show with Ben. It's uh, really been delightful to get that recipe. I'm here to please. <laughs> I guess so. So Jesus is having all this struggle with the, the religious leaders. And time and time again, we've seen as we, as we go through this, they don't get it. They're just attacking him and they're challenging him, trying to trap him. And he, he won't get caught. He comes right back at them and says, look, you guys are focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the all the externals in life, but it's really about the heart. So he gets up and leaves. And down in verse 24, it says, Jesus left that place. He was, he was done with the Pharisees. He was done with all these people following him around. And he goes into Gentile territory. I don't know, maybe he knew that the Pharisees wouldn't follow him. Like he could go into some Gentile territory and get some R&R. Some freedom. That's right. <laughs> from these guys. That's right. Because again, it's going to make them unclean. It's going to make them unclean if they go into, and he doesn't care. Obviously, they probably watched him cross the, the border and, and just, it was one more thing. They just did hash mark against Jesus for going into this unclean place. So it says in verse, we're in Mark 7, verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. This whole region of Tyre and Sidon is a, is a region, uh, a couple of cities that were outside of Jewish territory, northwest of where the Jews had lived, northwest of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his time, that is. And, you know, the city of Tyre, there's a couple of interesting things about it. And, and we learned about a woman that comes to meet him. So they're in the, the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at Jesus' feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. There's a couple of things about this that are striking. First of all, here it says in Mark that she was a Greek, kind of establishing her identity politically. Over in Matthew, she's identified as a Canaanite, identifying her ethnically. Both were no-nos to the Jewish people. And if they had just had a trouble with Jesus and his disciples not doing ceremonial hand washings, the fact that he's dealing with a politically and ethnically unclean person would have been crazy. And then there's also the city of Tyre itself. I mean, Tyre was at one time sort of, I think, on the side of King David, but in time they weren't anymore. And over in Ezekiel 28, verse 2, Ezekiel makes the statement, 
God makes it to, to Ezekiel, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of God in the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. So there's three strikes. I mean, the, the region itself was offensive to monotheism. This woman was politically and ethnically from the wrong side of the tracks. And it would be really seen as massively unclean to be in communication with her, much less ministry with her. But Jesus doesn't shy back, does he? No, he doesn't. It's amazing, really. So this woman makes a request in verse 24 that we saw there. And she said, you know, she had this daughter who needed healing. And then the exchange comes in. Um, let me jump over to Matthew fifteen twenty four. Just listen to this moment, because Jesus, her, his response to the woman was this over in Matthew. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Why do you think Jesus would have said that when we've seen him time and time again minister to people who were not Jews? Like the naked crazy cutter guy. You know, there are like, there people along the way that Jesus dealt with who were non-Jews, but he made a statement in this same story when it's recorded in Matthew 15, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What's, uh, what's going on with Jesus there? Um, I, I think if I, the way I read this is that uh, Jesus was sent first to or saw his uh, immediate ministry, while yes, I mean, he was constantly going. We see him uh, multiple times with the Samaritan woman. Uh, we see him, uh, you know, with the centurion. Uh, we see him engaging uh, others. But the gospel went first to the, the people of Israel. And uh, whether that's an aspect of what he's communicating or not, even when we, we looked, a, a, I think a couple of weeks ago, um, when the uh, disciples initially went out, the first place they went, uh, Jesus sends the, the, the 12 to uh, the, the people of Israel and tells them to limit their, um, their ministry to them specifically. And so part of it uh, might be a, a means to, to uh, illustrate that point. The other part of it is, as well, is, you know, Jesus knows this woman's heart. Um, I think that he knows the response that is coming, and I think it's a means for him uh, to illustrate uh, the, the salvation that has come ultimately through him and uh, the heart of faith that that salvation then um, exhibits in the, in the life of those who have aligned themselves with Christ. Yeah, it makes some sense there. So we back come back to the story in Luke. How do, how do you take it? Well, you know, I, I think that he's speaking perhaps in hyperbole there a little bit. Yeah. He says only to the lost sheep of Israel, and I, I haven't really looked at the Greek here to see what it, what it says. But I trust the translators; they it probably says only. Sure. Um, but but it's clearly not only. So right. I, I think that right. you're on to something that he was really seeing this woman's heart and wanting to build faith in his disciples because. It's coming toward the end, even though we're not quite halfway through the Gospels. I mean, the Gospels are 
really, there's a lot of chapters devoted to the last, last week, weeks yeah. and days and hours of Jesus' life and then his resurrection. So we're, we're coming toward, toward the end, I believe, and he's, he's wanting to build faith in them, too. Yeah. So he says, he makes the statement in order to draw them in. But I don't really know. Like sure. it says, it's an odd statement when he's already ministered to people outside of Israel, right, outside right. of the Jews. So he, here he is, and we're back in Luke chapter seven uh, again. I mean, I'm sorry, Matt, Mark chapter seven. I should get the name Mark right since that's my name. We're in Mark <laughs> chapter seven. And so remember in Matthew, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Mark picks up when he said, first let the children, that is the children of Israel, eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Dogs was a common Jewish term that was used by the Jews of the Gentiles because, again, they were unclean. And so they would use this phrase to talk about them, derogatory term. And Jesus uses the phrase and says that Dogs are meant for a, a certain kind of food and a certain kind of place in life, and they can't come belly up to the table and eat the good food prepared for the family. It's kind of a harsh, harsh statement, I, I think. I, I think I've heard it said that he doesn't use like a, a scavenger-type dog term here, but he uses a family pet kind of dog here. That, to me, only makes it like a little bit better. <laughs> you know. So if somebody's called me a dog and said, well, I don't mean a wolf, but I mean, you know, like a beagle. That doesn't really make <laughs> me feel that much better. I don't know. Um, but so he, he makes this statement here and says, and it could have shut the woman down. It, it certainly could have, she could have said, he's not going to give me what I want. But she replies in Mark seven twenty eight. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Mm -hmm. I can verify this is a true statement. My wife and I raised four daughters, <laughs> and we had a dog the whole time that we were raising those girls, and the dog was well-fed, uh, basically based either on sloppiness or I don't want this in this. And then the dog got some good scraps underneath the table. And it's really this great statement of faith, right, that this woman makes and says, you can call me a dog. I just want some of the scraps of the people. And Jesus' statement to me is remarkable. Over Again, I'm going to bounce back and forth. In Matthew 15, 28, he says, Woman, you have great faith. And here in Mark 7, 29, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. What is it about, about this desire to have faith or the great faith that Jesus is always pointing out and that people, when they have great faith, they receive the blessing. They receive what Jesus has to offer. And when they don't have great faith, sometimes it's blocked from them. Why is that such an important, and if God is sovereign, yeah. why is great faith so important? Yeah, several things uh, here. Um, one, it, it's fascinating to me because she recognizes in her statement that ultimately Christ has come for all, not just for uh, the, the Jews, which is a phenomenal statement of faith there. And I think, I could be off on this, um, but I think that this is the only time 
um, in, uh, in Mark's gospel where Jesus is addressed as Lord. And I could be wrong on that, Hmm. but, uh, so don't, don't hold me to that. Um, but I think that that's the case. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Christ continues to press into this notion that our relationship with God is not based upon, uh, is, is not earned or merited that it is, uh, through faith itself. And so Jesus continuously draws that out in these conversations and is really pointed in emphasizing that, you know, you have been healed, your sins have been forgiven um, because of your faith. And so he's constantly emphasizing this point over and over and over again. It's, it's, a, it's a, a repetitious uh, uh, piece of his, of his teaching uh, while he was uh, here earthly. Yeah, he, he's, he's wanting to lift that up. And the contrast between these two episodes that we've yeah. talked about today, between the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who really should have had their act together, they were the spiritual giants, they had followed all the rules, at least externally, they, they should have had, they should have known it. They, they had memorized all of what we call the Old Testament. I mean, they... they should have been the ones that were on the inside for Jesus. And then there's this woman, she's politically and socially and spiritually and ethnically on the outside. And because she has faith, she's the one that receives the blessings of God through Jesus. That, that to me is pretty cool. Yeah, and, and, and part of it, just real quick with the Pharisees too, you know, and, and there's an aspect where my heart hurts for them. Because they're so scared of doing things wrong that, they, that they're not experiencing the fullness of God's love and they're missing the Messiah uh, in the process because they are imminently terrified that they're going to mess things up uh, to where they you know, have added law upon law upon law upon law as a means of making sure that they and the community that they're ministering to you know, don't in, in essence fall out of favor with God. And in the midst of that have completely are, are blind to the nature of God's love. We're going to move next time into more Gentile territory, this time in the Decapolis. So episode 23, listen to that. We'll look at Jesus ministry there. If you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, Fishers UMC. Org or our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. There are a number of components from this study that you can find there. Until then, we'll see you next time.